Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles and Jeff Essery. Thanks for listening to Cover 2 Broncos. I'm Joe Rowles. And I'm Jeff Essery. Quick reminder that if you have any questions, be sure to hit us up at NFL, Jeffrey Essery, or Cover 2 Broncos on Twitter. You guys make us better, and we want to talk about the things you want to know about, so let us know. What are we talking about today, Jeff? Denver kind of made some waves in pre-free agency, making a trade for A.J. Boye, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. I mean, you and I walked through the corner predicament that Denver was in a little bit when we broke down Byron Jones or Darius Slay. And at that point, it felt like those were the two names that Denver was kind of honing in on. But then kind of out of the blue, they went after A.J. Boye. And, I, you know, we'll talk about the value and what we thought of the trade. But I think um, Nikki Jabalad did a good job kind of making the connection that Vic Fangio actually liked Boye in Chicago and tried to get him, um, I think it was in 2017 in Chicago. And so that was a connection that I hadn't made before. And really he wasn't on my radar. I mean, I know who he is, but he wasn't on my radar as a guy that Denver would potentially be targeting. So, um, yeah, it's exciting. Made some, some noise. And so we decided to push our normal podcasting programming and jump in and talk about Boye. I thought A.J. Boye would have made sense if he became a cap casualty for the Jaguars, and I definitely thought that could have happened just because the Jaguars Jaguars entered this spring in cap hell, 
in a lot of ways because they've just made so many bad deals over the last couple of years. But I didn't think they were just going to trade him. So that was that was a surprise to me. I think if you look at it, especially this free agent market over the next year and you know coming up soon, I think with the new CBA is Denver could potentially look like geniuses next year or even this year after Byron Jones potentially gets like you know 18 million or something like that. And Denver has a guy in AJ Boyer who's cost controlled at like 13 million a year for the next two years when you know corner the corner market potentially explodes. Obviously, the the skill gap between Jones and Boyer is different, and so you're paying for the premium for a premium player like Byron Jones. But the point is, I think the free agent market's going to explode the even you know baseline of what a normal corner gets paid. So for Denver to be able to trade for him and not have to pay him on the open market, I think was smart. I do too. And, that, and it was something I didn't really consider at the time just because it didn't seem like they were going to trade him because they reportedly had made the move with Marcel Darius. They were going to trade uh, Yannick Ngakwe. So I didn't think that they were at a point where they were also going to end up dumping Boye, but I guess because they're looking to possibly try and get rid of Foles, they're going to need all that salary. So it looks like the Jaguars are just kind of trying to bottom out and Denver's kind of swooping in and benefiting in the way because – it's it's kind of I'm I'm gonna make a note of this like as of right now AJ Boye's contract makes him the seventh highest paid corner in football which it seems kind of high just because oh man he's a top ten corner but the thing is the cornerback market has been flat for the last I think two or three years so basically corners have been signing for like thirteen to fifteen million uh, Xavier Howard just topped the market last year I think it was fifteen five but now all of a sudden because of the CBA and then Byron Jones people were talking about him making 15 and then there's rumors coming out today that he's looking at maybe 18 or more. And Darius Slay on his next deal is looking for 15. Chris Harris wants 15. Like, I mean, Josh Norman just made six and Josh Norman's washed up. (laughs) The cornerback market's only going up from here. So I think Denver kind of got ahead of this in the fact that they have two years, 13 and a half million a year, and there's no – guarantees so if something goes wrong with this trade they can move on without a problem yeah absolutely and it was the fourth round pick i want to make sure i'm getting that right it was the fourth round pick that they got from the emmanuel sanders trade and so when they traded emmanuel sanders to the 49ers it was for a third and a fourth and so essentially for half a season of emmanuel sanders and moving on and getting um you know additional cap space not only from sanders but also allowing Cortland Sutton and other guys to continue to grow. You know, you traded half a season of Emmanuel Sanders for a third and now AJ Boye. And obviously you got to pay him, but like we're saying, I think it's a good deal from a pay perspective too. And 13.5 is not that expensive. I think the biggest comparison is going to be when Chris Harris eventually signs the deal. And I, you know, I don't think it will be in Denver and he'll get paid by somebody. And I think that's going to be the biggest comparison. Obviously, Harris is a little bit older, but if he makes 15 million and boy, a is making 13 ish in Denver and he's two years younger. I think you can clearly see who won the end of that deal. I put one in air quotes, but I think it was a good move for Denver. Well, one of the other things that's kind of worth noting, and, and there's a, there was a lot of talk about this back when the trade first happened. But if Chris Harris does go on to sign for what his market value is looking like, because A.J. Boye came in a trade, not as a signing, he doesn't count towards the compensatory process. So Chris Harris leaving, let's say he signs for $15 million, 
that's 15 million that Denver could get in that calculation, which again, depending on what else they do, they may very well end up getting a, a third round pick in 2021 for that. So essentially you traded a half a season of Emmanuel Sanders for AJ Boye in a 2021 third, which that's, that'd be great. Yeah, I love that. I hadn't thought of that before. So it's a great point to bring it up. And, you know, essentially, if Harris leaves, you think you've got to replace him one for one. And so it cancels each other out in the compensatory pick if you're signing a guy like Byron Jones or something like that. But yeah, you make the trade. And so now all of his salary, whatever he makes, is eligible for that. And then you look at a guy like Shelby Harris, and we're not, you know, digging not to go too deep into a rabbit hole in terms of comp picks and all that, but you look at a guy like Shelby Harris and what he potentially could sign for as well, Denver could be in line to get a couple nice compensatory picks depending on where they go in free agency. Definitely. And one of the other things, because uh, I'm, I'm kind of the don't trade up guy. I've realized that that's me on Twitter now. I'm basically arguing against trading up in the draft with everybody. But my thing is, I don't necessarily want to trade up for prospects just because they're still prospects. But when it comes to proven talent, if you can get a proven player – on a reasonable contract, I'm all for it. Like, if Denver could get Stefan Diggs for a second, I'd be all for that trade. With that in mind, AJ Boye for a fourth, considering the success that he's had in the NFL, I love it. So, as long as he can play, I think this trade is great. Yeah, and I'm with you on the trading picks for known commodities on good deals especially with the cap space that Denver has. And I think that's the mentality you've got to take. You know, a lot of people are, you know, it depends on where you land on where your team's at of how much cap space you have, where you have to be worry about it or not. But I'm fine with, you know, if you're a team, for instance, like the Dallas Cowboys, who's about to pay Dak Prescott a ton of money and they have a bunch of guys on extended contracts. Denver's in almost the opposite situation. They're trying to stock talent and hit on their draft picks and bring guys in because they've had so much attrition of talent lately and they've got a rookie quarterback or, you know, rookie contract quarterback. And so they've got a ton of cap space this year and then leading into the next years too. And so I think they can be aggressive from just a salary cap perspective of trading for guys with larger cap hits and be okay with that. I think the one thing you do need to caution against or that, you know, um, they need to be careful of is not turning into the Rams who are spending first round picks, you know, first and second round picks on guys. And then you don't, you know, then when it comes time to pay your top quarterback, if you've kept him around, you're paying him a big time salary and you've got to start looking to some of your other guys to fill the depth and be, you know, cheap in that way. But all your first round picks are gone and you've spent it on high priced guys. And so you've got to start jettisoning some of those guys. And then you've got to make up those first round picks that you were lost and weren't bringing in consistent depth. And so you get in trouble that way. And so I think I love your point and I, I'm with you up until it cost about a first round pick probably is my, um, I don't know that I would go that far, but you know, a guy like Stefan Diggs for second round pick, I'm okay with. And I'm okay with especially, you know, those third and fourth round picks for proven veterans. Normally, I would say the first three rounds, I would leave untouchable. One thing that makes Stefan Diggs an exception for me is that his contract is so ridiculous compared to what he gives you now. And that's a whole other wormhole conversation. If Denver gets linked to Stefan Diggs, we'll go into a lot deeper. But, uh, but Jason Fitzgerald made a study on kind of the return on investment with picks. And I think it's interesting that we're talking Rams because the Rams are in a situation 
where they basically need to count on fourth round picks actually panning out because their contract situation is so bad. And going forward, it's only going to get worse. Like it looks good right now because they're Hollywood. They have McVeigh. They have this talent. But honestly, from a roster construction standpoint, the Rams may have one of the worst situations in the league because they have no way out from what they're in. Um, and Fitzgerald talked about this, and he said in a study, according to all fourth-round picks in the last few years, 37% of fourth-round picks wind up out of the NFL before their rookie deal even expires. Wow. Only 5% of those guys receive an extension from the team that drafted them. So there's a clear like sweet spot in the draft where you want to get as many like top 100 picks as you can. But once you kind of move into the, the day three area, it's all just kind of becoming a lottery where you're just throwing as much at the wall as you can. And if it hits, it hits and everybody holds those guys up as like the, like Tom Brady being a six round pick, everyone holds it up as like the Patriots were so smart. Honestly, they were lucky. Yep. And for, for every Tom Brady, there's a hundred guys who don't, who don't pan out. So so with that in mind, a fourth-round pick for A.J. Boye at his contract, I think it's really smart. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. So what do you actually get from AJ Boye? And I think that's the next big conversation. And you and I dug into the tape. And, you know, what's nice about this is there was a couple different contexts to really study him in. You know, uh, starting out in 2019, he started the year with Jalen Ramsey, and then Jalen Ramsey gets traded to the, you know, we're talking the Rams, got traded away to the Rams. And so then Boye is kind of left alone. Um, I was talking on um, Broncos Country Tonight with Benjamin Albright the other night, and I kind of compared it at the time then to Chris Harris a little bit of when Chris Harris had to leave, you know, um, shipped away. And now Chris Harris has to be the guy. And it's not really a role that he had played before. And I think Boye was in a similar situation because you look at the situation he stepped into in Jacksonville in 2017 when he signed there. He stepped in with Jalen Ramsey. Ramsey was drafted in 2016. So, And then before that, when Boye was with the Texans, he was kind of a second fiddle or more of just a, a mix. He played with Jonathan Joseph, and Joseph was good at the time, um, and Kareem Jackson and A.J. Boye. I mean, the Texans had a stacked secondary at the time. And so it was an interesting role in 2019 that he had to step into. And so, I mean, I find it, you know, kind of analogous to Chris Harris, which is interesting that Boyer is replacing Harris. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because I think there's a lot of different phases of his career so far. And so, you know, we'll talk through all of that as we dig into the tape, but it was important for us to spread out the games that we watched across the different, you know, pieces of his career. And one of the most interesting things to me is that in many ways, what 
Boye had to do last season is really similar to what Chris Harris ended up having to do. So the fact that Fangio went out and got him, kind of they have an idea of what he could be if that's what they're forced to do again. And I think that's interesting. And it, it gives you kind of a baseline of what to expect. Uh, granted, and we're again, his injury kind of changes that a little bit just because I do think he'll be better than what his 2019 tape looks like. But you're right in that essentially he's never been a CB1 until last year. So what games did you watch in 2019 or what, you know, kind of give us the broad overview of, of what you watched of AJ Boye? So I started out with Denver. Generally, whenever a team that like whenever a player plays against Denver, I try to start there just because I already know what Denver was doing. I've already watched Denver, so I have a really good idea of both their matchups, all that stuff. And then from there, I ended up watching the Saints because I wanted to see Michael Thomas against him. And then I ended up going to the Bucks. Then I watched the Falcons game. And then after the Falcons game, I realized that I hadn't really watched AJ Boye against speed. And I also hadn't really watched him in 2019 when he had Ramsey on the field. So I ended up going back to see the Kansas City Chiefs game. And then I kept, I spent a couple days not watching him for a bit. I ended up watching some draft picks. And then I ended up going back and watching his 2018 games against the Texans and the Patriots. I didn't watch him as closely but I because I had an idea of what he was going to be able to do. But I wanted to see both his interceptions, and I ended up watching all of his interceptions. And I wanted to see how he looked maybe when he was healthier, but also when he had Ramsey with him. It was interesting as you, I was looking through the names that you watched in 2019 and, you know, Michael Thomas, Mike Evans and Julio Jones, and then Cortland Sutton as well. That's a lot of big guys that he was going up against. So that's, that's super interesting that you were able to, you know, kind of chain those together. And I think, you know, and we'll get into it as we talk a little bit more on strengths and weaknesses, but I do think that is probably the, the area that Boye struggles um, I don't know about the most, but he, I think he struggled against bigger targets, not necessarily at the catch point, but I think at the stem, um, guys that were physical at the top of their routes or physical, you know, off the line. I think Boya struggled a little bit there and he is a smaller guy. I think he's 180 or 190 at the most. Um, I mean, he plays strong against the run and, um, is a good tackler, but he is, you know, he's not the biggest guy when you compare him to a guy like Cortland Sutton or a Mike Evans or something like that. On to the games that I watched though. So I started the opposite way so that we could kind of work towards each other. So I started in 2016, like you started with Denver and I thought his Denver, his game against Denver in 2016 reminded me a lot of actually, so he was with the Texans at that point, and he reminded me of Kareem Jackson's game against Denver, kind of a breakout game, if you will. And, you know, it was too far reverse. I mean, Kareem Jackson's, I think, obviously had a direct impact on Denver targeting him because of how well he played against them. I don't think that was necessarily the case with Boye. We've already talked about the connection that Boye had with Fangio. I think that was the biggest piece that got him on their radar. But he did play really well against Denver. If, if anybody recalls that game or you can go back and, and watch some of it, he lit up Emmanuel Sanders on a uh, third third down uh, slant route and broke up a ball. It was actually John Gruden was just talking about him on the broadcast, and then he makes a big play like that. So I thought he had a really good game against Denver in 2016. Then I watched Green Bay in 2016 as well. I jumped forward to 2017 and watched Seattle and in Indianapolis because I wanted to see him against 
uh, T.Y. Hilton and kind of a division game as well. He had a couple picks in Seattle, so I wanted to watch those. And he played, I thought he played one of his best games against uh, Russell Wilson in 2017. That was when he was with Jacksonville. So I got a little bit of the Texans, a little bit um, early on in his career with Jacksonville. And then watched the New England game in 2018, the KC game in 2018, and then um, KC and Tampa in 2019. So I think between the two of us, we got a pretty good, like, dug in really pretty, really deep in 2019 and then got a decent smattering of really across the last couple years of his career to get a good picture of him. Let's start 19 maybe then and work our way back. What did you see from him on tape? The way the way I do my grading, I don't think I've ever talked about this. I tend to do it on the, the, the scale that Dan Hatman taught me in Scouting Academy. Where a guy is basically on a seven-point scale of he's poor, marginal, adequate, solid, good, very good, or elite. So solid is what you're kind of hoping for is like he's slightly above average and then you're kind of moving from there. If he's adequate or worse in something, he's below what you would consider average. So with that in mind, AJ Boyer. Adequate, sorry, let me let me clarify. Okay. Adequate would be three if you're on a seven-point yep. scale. Okay, gotcha, yep. gotcha. Uh, and if he's poor, if he's poor, like that's, that's a red flag type of thing. There's AJ boy. did not have any poor things on my tape. Like from what I watched, but he, I thought he had solid athleticism. He has smooth hips. He, his long speed is good. He displayed a short memory. I thought his mental processing is good. You could tell that he knows the plays he was communicating. He was helping others kind of make sure that they were picking up their assignments. He has good play strength. There's definitely – he can match up with big receivers to some extent. He can work off blocks. He's a willing player in the run game, and he has enough play strength that he can get to the run. Uh, one area where I really liked Boye is his soft shoe out of the press alignment. He ended up doing a good job sticking with his assignment and trail most of the time. His ability to mirror match is solid, and he worked to keep a close distance between the two. So he didn't provide a lot of room for a quarterback to throw the ball in. Uh, one thing that I thought that really stood out to me when I was watching his interceptions is he has good to very good hand-eye coordination. So if there's an opportunity for him to get his hands on the ball, he usually does. I thought he had good range basically throughout what I've seen. He looks like he has good to very good range. Uh, he can run downfield with guys, uh, against the run. He was good. He plays like a bigger corner. So he knows how to position himself and leverage the ball back to help which is big in Fangio's defense because they'll play off and then they'll try and funnel the play back to other defenders instead of letting them get up the space up, up the sideline. Um, he forces receivers to block him. I liked that a lot. Uh, so yeah, I, I think in a lot of ways, boy fits what Fangio wants in a corner. Uh, and then like all, everyone was making a big deal about the fact that he can tackle. And I thought he was a solid tackler. So how yeah, about you? I, I think, yeah, I think it's you hit it on the head when you said it. He fits really well with what Fangio likes in a corner, and obviously Fangio, you know, liked what he saw from him in 2017 and wanted to bring him in again this year. And so, I, one, I think it'll be interesting once the trade actually is official and goes through. I'd love to hear at the opening press conference, like when they introduce him and stuff. I'd love to hear Fangio's comments about him. 
Um, because I do think I, I see all the stuff that you mentioned and it fits, you know, perfectly with Fangio's system. And I think, you know, and I'm not going to make the one-to-one comparison, but I was actually, so I had watched a ton of Boye before this. Um, and so I was surprised at how closely his game kind of fit Darius Slay's game and not from a, and again, I'm not making a direct comparison, but if you look at, you know, when we were contrasting Byron Jones's game versus Darius Slay's game, I would say AJ Boye's is a little bit closer to Darius Slay's, especially the earlier tape that I watched in terms of how well he looked in off coverage, how quick he was to flip his hips and drive on the ball. I thought his, uh, you know, he was really impressive from that perspective and his mental processing and, you know, coming downhill on routes, I thought was really good. And it's interesting and, in, in, you know, we can dig into this that, I think some of the stuff that you saw in 2019, he struggled a little bit in off coverage. And I wonder how much of that was due to battling through injuries because, you know, when we talked about this right before we jumped on air is in 2016, 2017, he looked excellent in off coverage and looked like he fit, you know, perfectly the bill that Fangio wants out of his cornerbacks. I got a couple clips um, that I'll put out on my Twitter feed as well of, you know, some good, plays in the running game. I thought he played well when he was asked to come down and make the play on the edge, taking on the running back. I thought he did a good job fighting through contact in that way. He was, um, I think it was, I forget who Denver's tackle was in, who was Denver's right tackle in 2016? Was it Chris Clark at the time? It was number 71. Um, it's been so long now, but uh, there was a play where he took on the Denver Denver's right tackle, uh, took him on and made the play, knocked the running back out of bounds. And so I thought he, you know, showed a good ability to do that. And to me, I see him as a bit of a poor man's Darius Slay where he doesn't have, so he's, to me, his game is very similar to Slay, but he's missing the elite speed. So, you know, he's decent on vertical routes, but he doesn't have the, obviously the elite speed that, Slay has, um, or the as quickness of you know, like the baiting and breaking on the ball, like Slay does. But be, just because I watched a lot of you know, Slay based on our conversations the other day, that's where my mind goes in terms of the comparison. Again, I'm not a big comp guy in terms of comparing guys, but at least from a framework perspective, maybe that gives you, um, folks listening an idea of kind of where he lands from what I saw. Well, what's interesting is if if I had to make a comparison to those two based on what I watched, I would say he's a poor man's Byron Jones. So that kind of gives you an idea of where he was. I thought in 2019, again, most of my notes are from the 2019. Cause that's where I really focus. And I thought he, he struggled in off coverage enough that I wouldn't feel comfortable with him in off coverage based off last year's tape. Whereas he was good in soft shoe. He, he's not necessarily good in press, but I would say, like, essentially, if you're using him kind of like Byron Jones last year, he gives you kind of like a poor man's rendition of what Byron Jones did. So it's interesting that before he got hurt, he actually looks a lot more like Darius Slay. And when I think about how he looked in the game, the 2018 games I watched, he does look noticeably better in off coverage. So Yeah, and I'm hoping that that's something that somebody will ask him about, especially, you know, like, we're not credentialed members of the media. And so I'm hoping somebody that is there at the press conference has the ability to ask him that question or, you know, digs in on that a little bit of how he felt in 2019. Um, 
because I think it is evident and and you and I were, you know, looking at it right before we jumped on air, kind of watching some of the tape together a little bit and the contrast between the two. I put it out on my Twitter feed, a clip from 2017 where it's a similar type of play where um, the receivers, you know, running hard upfield. And so Boye is trying to stack him and stay, you know, essentially cap the vertical route. And, um, then the receiver, you know, tries to get into his blind spot and then breaks it, breaks it off. So, you know, Boye's already turned his hips. He's running down the field with him. Um, then he's you know, trying to keep his eye on the receiver as he's running and staying on top of the vertical route. The receiver breaks it off. And one of the cases he went toward the sideline, the other, he kind of does more of a comeback. But the difference between um, Boye breaking down and coming to the receiver in 2017, to me, it was one of the best plays that I saw from him on tape. It was against Seattle. And I think it was, I think it was Baldwin that he was playing against at the time. I forget which receiver he was covering, but he came back and made an amazing play on the ball, had a PBU. And if he'd have, you know, got there maybe just a split second earlier, he might've picked it um, and gotten another pick off of Russell Wilson. But then you fast forward to 2019 and he's working on Mike Evans, who is, you know, he's Mike Evans isn't slow, but he's a big, tall receiver. He's not exactly a Tyree kill. And he broke down and came back on a comeback route. And Boye was, you know, several steps behind him. There was a, a lot of space that he left. And, you know, Evans did a good job. He's a nuanced route runner. He did a good job kind of staying in his blind spot and then breaking off at the right second. But man, Boye's like deceleration and flipping his hips back down field to come and break on the ball was noticeably different. And I think that's the big debate is, you know, which Boye will you get? Is it the one that, Joe, that you talked about that you saw a lot of in 2019? Or is it the one that we saw in 2017? And, you know, the, the tough thing for Denver is that the 2019 is the most recent tape. And you know, he's, that's the older version and that's the non Ramsey version and all of that. And so the skeptic in me is that you may get more closer to the 2019 version, but then also if the stuff about his injuries, you know, I think that's where it'll be really key to look at how much he was injured. And so, I mean, you kind of go through, we look through the injuries, maybe talk a little bit about the injuries that he had leading up to 2019. Yeah. And there's, there's a couple there's, there's a lot to kind of pull apart on this just because when, when AJ Boye was first acquired, I went and looked up the sports info solutions charting numbers just because I wanted to see kind of what he was getting. Cause his PFF grade kind of like rings alarm bells. I don't put a lot of stock into PFF grades for as a general rule without tape to kind of back it up. It's, it's kind of interesting to see how they chart it, but that's a whole, it, it's just an idea. But the Sports Info Solutions charting also essentially paints a picture of a guy who played slightly better than Chris Harris did last year. Uh, so 9.8 yards per pass in his direction on 82 targets versus Chris Harris, who allowed 10.2 yards on 54 targets. Then I started watching the tape. And again, like his Tampa tape is awful. Like, you watched the Tampa tape. If that was the only game you watched, I would be very, very scared of what Denver just got. But then you go back and you start to see that there's definitely some good plays mixed in. But the thing is, people were kind of trying to make up the excuse for A.J. Boye that, oh, he was just putting it in the tank last year because the Jaguars were bad. And that's another reason why I went back and tried to watch the Kansas City Chiefs game because early in the season, they were trying to be a contender. They acquired Nick Foles. They had that talented defense together. At least on paper, they looked like they should be a contender. 
And from the jump, he doesn't look great against the Chiefs. He looks okay. But then you, I ended up digging up his injury history for last year. In training camp, he had a hamstring injury. At one point, they were resting him. And then right after week one, he ended up missing week two because of a hip injury. And the thing with lower body injuries is, especially in the NFLs, they're hard, they're hard to really deal with because as soon as you're playing, you're running around on them. So what are you going to do? And you really notice that in the way he shifts and tries to decelerate, tries to flip his hips, tries to turn. One area where I really noticed A.J. Boye really struggled last year, his lateral quickness just wasn't there compared to what you saw in 2018. So I talked I talked to Big Cat Country's Ryan O'Blenis. Uh, he covers the Jaguars for SB Nation's Jaguar site. And he mentioned that he kind of thought that Boye just didn't have his legs like he did before. And he kind of – he cited it to some decline. And I think he's right in the fact that A.J. Boye, if you just watch his games without really putting it two and two together, he does look like he's losing a step on last year's tape. But when you combine that with the fact that he had probably two or three significant lower body injuries, that may very well be the reason. And no one's going to let up on you. So Yeah, and I think I think the hip injury to me, the hamstring and the hip, you know, I think you nailed it with the the lower body injuries being, you know, something that just nags you throughout the season even if you're playing through them. And we hear guys all the time that, you know, do that kind of thing after the season they come out and the reason they had a down year is because oh, I was playing through it, you know, a hurt shoulder or whatever it was. And so it's definitely not out of the realm of the po- of possibility and I think the hip one to me is is really big just because of the noticeable difference. Like, I mean, you can see when guys decline a little bit. And I think to me, the biggest thing that starts to decline is their explosion and their, you know, potentially their vertical speed. But Boye, it's more his hip flip, you know, it's yep. his ability to break down and come back to the ball. And he was so quick at that, even as early as 2018. You don't just lose that in a year. 2017. Yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, I think there is such a thing as an age wall and, you know, corners decline. And, and, you know, we talked about that a lot with Chris Harris is once you hit 30, 31, it starts to creep up on guys a little bit. And so I'm definitely not saying it can't be age, but he's 29 years old. And I don't think there's that, you know, big of a difference from just a year or two years prior in terms of such a, a steep decline, especially when there wasn't like a major injury or something that he was coming back from. I think, you know, we could, you could potentially find that he was just struggling through injuries in 2019. And then also you look at those numbers, he was getting targeted a lot, uh, you know, 54 targets for Chris Harris to 82 of Boyer because he was playing on a team without Jalen Ramsey. And he was the only guy. And I don't even know, I haven't really looked at Jaguars depth chart aside from that, but who they had to fill in past that. And so, you know, teams continue to pick on him and, and target him. And so, you know, it's not an excuse because you expect him to get targeted a lot here in Denver too. And so he's got to hold up, but I do think it is something to take into consideration, especially the fact that there's essentially two different stories or two different tales of the tape, if you will, from what, you know, it's interesting that we each watched a different cross section because, you know, if we'd have, if you'd have just asked me my scouting report on Boye and then yours, and we put them next to each other, it would have been completely different, almost different players. It would have sounded like probably. And, you know, I think that's a big deal. 
I don't think Fangio would have traded for him if he was just going in the tank because the Jaguars were garbage. Like, it, I, I just – that excuse yeah, doesn't fly that. with me at all. Fangio's yeah. not that kind of guy. Fangio's the kind of guy that wants to get glass eaters. He's, he wants the guy that's going to fight through everything. And that sounds exactly what Boye tried to do last year. So I, I think it has more to do with injury than it does any sort of real decline. The one concern kind of on top of that, though, is the fact that A.J. Boye has only actually played in 16 games once in his career. So it's they may very well be acquiring a guy with the idea that he's going to play in 13, 14 games, not 16. Yeah, and and that was a great point that Sayer Bettinger brought up. I haven't really seen a lot of folks – you know, talk about it other than, um, than Sarah who put it out there. But I do think it's a different, it's different than a Bryce Callahan situation where Bryce Callahan was, you know, digging through or working through serious um, injuries and, you know, had a screw in his foot and all of that. So I don't want folks to hear, you know, I don't know. I think Elway's this, this last year, it's begun kind of a sensitive topic because of, Juwan James getting hurt and Bryce Callahan and people are like, Oh, you know, any guy that we signed who has any type of injury history, like you're, you're hard pressed to find a guy in the NFL that doesn't have an injury history or hasn't struggled through some injuries. And so Boye is not this, you know, made of glass guy. He's missed a couple games in the past couple seasons um, here and there, but for the most part, he's played, you know, a good chunk of his, his season. But I do think it is notable that a full 16 game season has only been, you know, once in his career. So with that though, you know, you got a guy in Callahan who you're hoping comes back and then Boyer who potentially, you know, could miss some time. Maybe I'm not saying he's injury prone, but what does that do for Denver's depth at corner? Or, you know, what do you think they'll do for the rest of the, the cornerback position? Are they set here or do you think they continue to look? I think what Fangio said at the combine is really telling in that essentially you can never really be done at corner. And I think people people keep attributing Fangio to what he did with the 49ers and saying that corners just aren't as big a deal to him. And I just don't think that's true, and I wish people would stop kind of perpetuating that because you look at what Fangio did with the Bears. First of all, when he first got there, he went out and tried to sign A.J. Boye to begin with, and he offered him more than what he got from the Jaguars. So like that's that in and of itself should ring alarm bells that this isn't true. But beyond that, after he kind of reclaimed and fixed Prince of Mukamara, they ended up paying him a big contract. They re-signed Kyle Fuller after the Packers tried to steal him for a big contract. So I think Fangio prioritizes cornerbacks. I just don't think – let me restate that. I think Fangio looks for cover guys who can also tackle, but also he doesn't necessarily prioritize trail and press corners in the same way that a lot of the league does now. And I think because of that, a lot of the guys that he has the most success with aren't what you first think of as, you know, the premier top corner. Like Kyle Fuller is usually not on people's list of top five corners in the league, but Kyle Fuller is a darn good cornerback. I think that's a great point that you bring up and a good, you know, myth that people continue to perpetuate. It's a, it's a bad myth, but it's, it's a good point. Um, the myth that they continue to perpetuate about Fangio's defense is that, oh, one, he doesn't value corners, but then two, he could just turn any cornerback into whatever. Like he just, you know, and this is the NFL. If you don't have good cornerbacks, I don't care who you are from a scheme perspective. Like you can't hide your cornerbacks with good safeties a hundred percent of the time. And I think that gets us to a little bit of you know, what Denver struggled with last year is they got killed on the backside of three by one sets. 
And, you know, so to, to bring that back down again, so we've talked about this a little bit on the show. You know, you have trips to one side, three receivers on one side. One of those could be a tight end potentially. And then you've got, you know, one receiver on the other. And so typically how that looks, depending on, you know, if you're in a split field coverage, sometimes you'll have a safety hanging out there to, to help out that corner over the number one receiver. But a lot of times that guy's kind of on his own. And then, you know, maybe he, he's got some help underneath from a linebacker or something, depending on what the running back does. But you've got to be able to have a guy that can win in that situation. And Boye did this a lot before, one, before Ramsey left, but then also in, in 2018 and a little bit in 2019, I think, too, uh, at least in the KC game that I saw, it felt like they were intentionally playing Boye on the backside of the three-by-ones and playing Ramsey on the front side. And I don't know if that's, you know, daring teams to try to target Ramsey or exactly what they were doing there in terms of the the structure of how they were aligning the guys. But he does have experience in that. And so does Prince Mukamura. And that's where I I think Mukamura brought some value to the Bears um, was in that regard. And so I think Denver is still looking at a guy like Prince Mukamura to continue to bolster that cornerback position. But I think it's a great point you bring up, Joe, that – you know, this isn't some defense where you can just throw anybody in at cornerback. And we saw that last year. You know, Chris Harris even struggled at corner because there wasn't a lot of good guys on the other side either. And they were rotating through guys with Duke Dawson and Devontae Harris and Devontae Bosby. And so teams were targeting the crap out of those other guys, you know, miscommunication breakdowns, all of that. And we'll, we'll dig into more of that, like what exactly Denver struggled with when we dig into Fangio's defense. But I do think it's a good you know, thing to bring up that Denver isn't done at cornerback just with replacing essentially Harris's position. They've got to really raise the floor across the board in terms of their coverage. The thing with cornerback in the NFL, and honestly, the thing with defense in general in the NFL, you can specialize on offense. You have to kind of be a jack of all trades on defense because if any yeah. of your 11 guys on the field are weak at something, Opposing coordinators are too good. They're going to make you do it. And so if you have a cornerback who can't actually cover, you're going to get destroyed. So you look back at what Fangio did last year, and it's pretty amazing. But I also think part of the reason that it worked is because he basically sacrificed what Chris Harris's charting numbers look like to try and save the rest of the defense. Because, again, that the number two corner in Denver's defense last year was a rotating cast of guys who basically got benched, got hurt, or couldn't play for the whole time. And I think Denver needs to upgrade the secondary and they need to prioritize it, especially when you have a team like the Chiefs in the division. Everybody in the NFL knows that basically to get to the Super Bowl in the AFC for the next however many years, you're going to have to go through Kansas City and at least survive. You're not going to do that if you don't have cornerbacks. Yeah, and so you know, to your point, I think Denver has to look at what their starting five looks like in the secondary. But then also you look at Fangio's comments at the combine about wanting to potentially play more six DB sets. And so currently where you stand, you've got AJ Boyer, you've got somebody across from him. You would assume it'd be Bryce Callahan in base, or I say base in, um, you know, four DB sets, essentially your traditional three, four sets. And, I think 
Callahan potentially plays the Chris Harris role that he had, you know, back when Bradley Roby and Aqib Talib was there, where you play outside in some of those base packages and then you kick inside in the nickel in five DB packages. And so that way it protects the third cornerback essentially where he's more of just an outside guy. And right now that's Isaac Adam um, or, you know, Devonte Bosby, if they bring him back, I think they will. And he's healthy or a Devonte Harris, you know, and so it's one of those guys. And so I think you do need one more solid cornerback that can play that outside slot. And then you let a guy like Bosby or Harris or Duke Dawson and those guys battle it out for, you know, back up to nickel or being a sixth cornerback or, a, you know, fourth cornerback, sixth DB or something like that. I feel a lot more comfortable there with a guy like Prince of Mukamara across from AJ Boyer and Bryce Callahan in the slot than you do rolling with one of these other guys. Cause that's what you had to do last year is just roll with one of the young guys and hope they develop on the fly. And I think we saw that that didn't work last year. The fact that AJ Boyer, Bryce Callahan, and if they bring back Bosby, Bosby, all three of them ended up, they ended up missing time last year for one reason or another. And again, yeah. I'm not saying that they're injury prone, but I am saying that, the best predictor of future injury is past injury. So even if Denver does bring in Prince of Mukamara, and even if they retain Devontae Bosby, I know this sounds crazy, but I still think you need to continue adding kind of bodies to the pool. And it's one of the reasons why I've argued so strongly against this whole idea of trading up for Henry Ruggs. And I know this is a whole outside thing, but like if Denver's giving away some of these day, day two picks, that's where the sweet spot for cornerbacks in this draft is going to be. There's some premier talent. You have Jeffrey Akuda at the top, but this next second and third tier of cornerbacks, there's a lot of guys that fit what Fangio can make into something special. And Denver would be essentially sacrificing that for a receiver in a deep receiver draft. And I don't like that because I think Denver's better off kind of bringing Bosby back, getting, getting a Mukamara if at all possible, and then trying to get a rookie who can either be a like a backup safety slash nickel or being like a nickel corner, eventually a CB two CB three guy. Honestly, yeah, I think, they can do both, I'd be happy. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point with the really drafting a guy to kind of be the primary nickel guy and maybe play safety is there's a lot of hybrid guys like that here in the draft. And so, and we'll get into that. I think when we dig more, you know, as April approaches towards the end of April, we, we really dig into the draft and Denver needs and all that. So we'll do an episode there, but I like a lot of the Swiss army knife guys. You know, there's a couple of them that I saw at the senior bowl that I was really high on. Um, Terrell Burgess is the name that comes to mind from Utah. And so I think you, you fill in cornerback, you can do other things at nickel and have a, you know, really just a, your sixth DB becomes a Swiss army knife or something. And you feel good about the three cornerbacks you have. So I think net is Denver isn't done at cornerback and they'll continue to pursue a guy like Prince of Nukamara. And so don't be surprised if you see him sign too. And then that gives you a solid group of starting cornerbacks and really to me, a solid uh, secondary that you can continue to build on and then let the young guys develop underneath. And so to me, I think that's where I would look in free agency. And then it allows Denver also to be a little bit more flexible in free agency is, you know, what happens if they didn't get, I think Brandon Cristal brought this up on uh, KOA, is what happens if they go into free agency and Byron Jones prices himself out of the market 
and you don't you can't trade for Darius Slay, and so you're stuck without a starting cornerback. And so I think that's why you you know went with AJ Boye first, and then you see what you can get in free agency now. And you know, so I think that's a good as we wrap this up. I think that's a good kind of segue into next episode as we dig into free agency. Um, you know, we'll be free agency starts what Joe on the 16th. So that's so unless the CBA pushes it back because the whole CBA is kind of looking like a mess today. But unless it pushes it back, I believe free agency opens next. One second. I think it's the 18th officially, but 16th is like the legal tamper period. Yep. So yeah, next week. And so I, I agree with you. The fact that AJ Boye, the trade, and I think it's actually the second straight year that Denver is the first move. But I, I like what Boye does in the fact that now Denver kind of goes into free agency not having to panic pay somebody. Because after you look at those first two guys, like Byron Jones and Darius Slay, and then Chris Harris, you have James Bradbury. And I like James Bradbury, but if James Bradbury is making $15 million, I'm kind of nervous. I don't like Logan Ryan. So – like that cornerback market turns into flyers on guys really quickly. And ideally you're not looking at Prince of Mukamara as your number one corner. Yeah. So, so I think what they did with Boye makes a lot of sense. And as long as he can kind of rebound back from what his injury kind of did to him last year, I think he could be a really great fit. Agreed. Um, I think that leads us to free agency. You know, we're getting close and like we said it's a week away so i think we're going to try to squeeze in a lot of questions and free agency rumors and all of that stuff it'll be interesting since the you know we'll be trying to get it up on a tuesday which is really the start of the league year but we'll keep you guys updated and um be talking free agency and be with you here as everything starts opening up and denver starts chasing guys so stay with us